I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And I'm teaching, I've been studying the 70 weeks of Daniel since about 1964. I have just immersed myself in prophecy. And the 70 weeks of Daniel is the purpose for the end of time. This might, you might call this the end of time part three. But I've been, there's a reason for the 70 weeks. And I put this title on the board. God's reason for the 70 weeks of Daniel. It is to take us to the end of time. It's close, and I believe it can't be far away. There's all kinds of signs towards the end of time. The the Lord said, if you're not obedient to me, I'll send four judgments, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. The pestilence is disease. We're getting lots of disease nowadays. We've got the COVID-19. We've had AIDS here some 20 or 30 years ago. People have still got that. They've found some kind of, not a cure, but something to stave off the final days of AIDS. We had Ebola that they never found a reason. I uh, never found a cure for that. Ebola, AIDS, the COVID-19. I believe these are all God's judgment. We had the, the 1918 flu virus, the flu, that killed millions of people. And you had the uh, you had the bubonic plague several hundred years ago. Bubonic, I believe, all of this. God says, "I'll keep you from having this if you tell the truth." You had uh, all kinds of fevers, and uh, you had the uh, uh, all kinds of plagues over the last several hundred years. God, and how can you be living in truth when the preachers in America are not telling truth? They don't tell the truth about Christmas being pagan. Christmas is pagan. So is Easter. What's amazing, Christmas and Easter and Mardi Gras And people can't understand that unless they hear me teach on it. Mardi Gras, Halloween, uh, Valentine's, and let me name some more. Mother's Day. They all go back to the ancient world. They all go back to sun and tree worship. Thanksgiving. These are not these are not Christian holidays. Thanksgiving. When the Bible says in everything give thanks, 
and people only want to thank God for the turkey and the dressing at East at uh, Thanksgiving time. Why not? Why not thank God for your trials and your persecution? Because all that's going to mold you into being what God wants you to be. And the world doesn't like that because that's predestination. And all of these, all of these are part of the same picture. All of these are belonging. There's no such thing as American holidays that do not go back to the pagan world. I challenge anybody to go online, look at pagan origins of holidays, look at pagan origins of Thanksgiving, look at pagan origins of any of these things here, of Mother's Day. Look them up. You'll find they all go back to paganism. The Bible says we're not to keep that. So what I'm trying to show you is why God brought this. He's brought all these diseases. Uh, Let's put smallpox down there. Smallpox. That was an extremely... One more. Polio. I was a boy in the early 50s when polio hit America. It had another name, infantile paralysis, and that's what President uh, Roosevelt died from, infantile paralysis or polio. All of this was God sending disease, and it's like he sent us something that's not going to go away with this COVID-19. Now, these are the things that God says he'll do. Famine has to do with the economy. Economy, and that has to do with the shelves and the stores emptying because they can't hire enough people. They're having a hard time hiring people to work right now, mainly because the president's giving away all this money. And I'm not going to get on a political thing. I just, I don't believe in any of the politicians, none of them. Now, I've written something up here. God's reason for the 70 weeks of Daniel is to take us all the way to the end of time. I believe it's real close. I don't believe it's far down the road. I'll tell you what, eternity is not far down the road for me. I'm 82. I won't believe to be 92. I'm getting weaker every day. Everybody that gets in their 80s starts getting weak. That's just the way it works. Now, I want to I want to take you to something that people are talking about the mark of the beast Now when you see the beast don't think of a man it's not a man it's a system I've already told you that in Revelation 13 and verse 2, the Bible says there was a beast, the beast, the beast was like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. God is not in he's not incorrect in the way he lays things out. The beast is not the Bible says 
the dragon gave the beast his his seat his his power and his authority his is a absolutely a bad interpretation by the scholars who interpreted the Bible of 1611. Because the word is A-U-T-O-U. Autu. When you look into a Greek book, Mr. Mouse, William Mouse, will tell us that this word autu can be one of two genders. It can be masculine or neuter gender and it all depends on the antecedent antecedent an antecedent is a word that a pronoun refers back to Jim is the pastor and then you got another sentence he you have to match the pronoun with the noun it refers back to, noun and pronoun it refers back to. He preaches truth. You cannot have a different gender of the pronoun referring back to Jim. You could not say it. Because Jim is masculine gender. You have to carry the same gender as the noun it refers back to. So it has to be he. When you look up the beast, it is the word to-therion. Anything that refers back to the beast, what you do is you take a you take an analytical lexicon and you look up the spelling of the beast it is tolterion you can actually look it up in your interlinear bible i'm going to take some time on this so you understand this you can look it up in the interlinear bible the interlinear has the Greek on the top line and the English under it. You look up the English word to locate the word and it will tell you it is tolterion. When you look it up in an analytical lexicon and you have to learn your alphabet, it will tell you it's tolterion and it will tell you in this lexicon that it is neuter gender. Neuter gender. Therefore, all the hisses and the hymns that refers to back to the beast, it's a bad translation. In the interlinear Bible, it says it's. It says it correctly. They... The guys that translated the interlinear Bible, they did it right. The reason they did this probably 
was because but uh, half the translators were Roman Catholic and they were led by a Roman Catholic priest. That was the chief translator of the King James Bible. Was a man named Lancelot Andrews. Lancelot, it comes out of the Arthurian legend and that's where the Holy Grail comes from. Arthur and the legend and those were thinly veiled Sun deities in Arthur's legend. I'm not going to go into that right now. So when it says the beast, and it has to be the same thing when you go over to Daniel 7. It says the same thing it says here when it says in verse 1 of chapter 13, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. But over in Daniel, the beast that rises out of the sea is the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, and the Grecian leopard, and the beast with iron teeth. That's Rome, and it devours these three here. Or it engulfs them, iron teeth. So you can see, you can learn to look. What these are going to have to coincide and mean the same thing. If this is a, if this is Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, that's what this up here has to be. God is not that uh, erroneous in his and he's giving us his word. It's the same thing here in Daniel 7 as it is over here. So, if there's a mark of the beast, mark is the word, karagma. Let me erase this. Mark is the word karagma. C-H-A-R-A-G-M-A. And there's several words that come from this. You have the word character. You have the word karagma. And it means character. It actually means an etching. An etching or scratching. And it has to do with how they would mark the slaves. They would mark the slaves by putting an etching on their forehead or on their hand, just like you would brand cattle so you know who it belonged to. So you'd have to know and that and where you get this mark, this was something that was stolen from Israel. It was stolen from Israel. Because God would have Israel mark. Let me give you a verse here before I go any further. Let me give you this verse in verse. In verse. Let's go to verse 15 in chapter 13 of Revelation. Speaking of this second beast, well, I ought to give you that first. And he says here in in verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And it says he had 
two horns like a lamb. It's not a he, it's all two. And the beast is neuter gender. So this beast is also neuter gender. It's an it, not a man. All of the world is looking for a man to be the beast. Let me explain something to you. Antichrist is not necessarily the beast. Antichrist is only found in 1st and 2nd John. That's the only place. What you're talking about when you're trying to talk about Antichrist, most prophecy scholars call the beast the Antichrist, and that's not it. The beast is the world ruling system. It's just like George Bush Sr. said. He started speaking one time when he was president, and he spoke of the new world order. I said, that's the beast. Man, I, I jumped back and went, whoa. That would be the beast. The new world order. That's the same thing as Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Antichrist is only mentioned in First and Second John. What you're talking about is the man of sin. Now you can call him Antichrist, and he is. But in First John, man of sin, or the son of perdition, that's the leader of the world order, son of perdition. We'll talk about that another time. That will be the leader of the New World Order. Anyone who denies Christ in 1 John 2.22, 1 John 2.22, I've told people this before. When they say, I don't believe predestination. I said, that makes you Antichrist. You're not the Antichrist. You're just Antichrist. 1 John 2.22 says, He that denieth Christ is Antichrist. Somebody tell me they don't believe in predestination. They say that makes you Antichrist. Anti means an opposition to, opposition, or in place of, instead of. It makes you to oppose Christ or instead of. If somebody says they don't believe, if they can say, I don't understand predestination, that's one thing. They can say, I don't understand Christmas being pagan, that's another thing too. But to say, I don't believe that's right, what they're doing is going against the Bible because these things are true. So we're... When you're talking about the leader of the world order, it'll either be he'll be called the man of sin. Uh, you can see that in in John 17, and in you can see the son of perdition, John 17, and in First John, uh, in Acts the the uh, not Acts. Uh, you can see the man of sin. That's when Judas is being called the son of perdition, or you can see it in Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. The man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, at the end. Now, let me erase this.
All right. I'm going to go through some things and show you why. Let me read one more verse here, two more verses. And this is something very important to understand. He says here, speaking of this second beast in verse 15, he, or it had power to give life unto the image of the beast. The word image is icon, likeness. So it's not a man, it's an it. Every time you find he referring back to either one of these beasts, and in the interlinear Bible it will tell you it. It is a world system. And he had, and it had power to give life unto the image of the beast. What do you mean give life to the image? It's kind of like saying it doesn't mean he's going to raise an image from the dead. It's like saying that new manager that that took over that grocery store, he gave life to that store. It means he gave uh, something that emphasized uh, a move forward. And he gave life into the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Well, it's talking about a world system. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark, the karagma. To take get a mark, and from karagma we get the word character, C-H-A-R-A-K-T-E-R. And it means character, and we also get the word from that, carax, C-H-A-R-A-X, which is a stake on a boundary line. Let me say something to you and see if I can say it slow so you can understand this. The the character of the beast never changes. Where was the first beast in the Bible? Where was the first beast? It'll show you over there in, I believe this is the mark. Well, let me read one verse to you here. The next verse. That no man might buy nor sell save he that had the mark or O-R O-R when you have O-R it is not the word A-R-E forget A-R-E or means id-est I-D-E-S-T it it means that's id-est is a Latin phrase that means i.e. that is to say. When you see O-R, it means here's another way of saying mark. And then he says, or the name of the beast. So, Mark and name have the same meaning. And when you define them, 
they do have. Name is the word onoma. So when you say, anytime you have something stated concerning some something in Scripture or anywhere else, you have a precedent. This, this phrase gives you a precedent. Precedent. A precedent means something is laid out and everywhere you find it, it's going to be the same way. So everywhere you find Mark, it means name. Name means authority. God's authority is His Word. God has a mark just as well as the beast has a mark. God has a seal. Instead of us being marked, we're sealed. And we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. In the book of Ephesians, that first chapter, in verse 12, Holy Spirit is the truth. That is our seal. It means a, it means this word seal, sphragis, S-P-H-R-A-G-I-S, means a signature, S-I-G-N-A-T-U-R-E. And a signature, when they had a signet, they had a signet on the king's ring that day and time, and they would seal official documents. And you got seven seals all through the book of Revelation. You got seven churches, seven spirits, seven golden candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven last plagues, seven plagues, seven vials, seven mountains, seven kings, and seven last. Boy, there's sevens there, aren't they? Remember, seven is the word Sheba. S-H-E-B-A, Sheba. Shaba. means to seven oneself. And then you have Shabua. Shabua is the word seven, seventy weeks. And Shabua is a form of Sheba, and Shabbat. This means to take an oath. And you have to be sevened, or it means to be seven, to seven oneself. And Peter said in Second Peter 1 and 5, Besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. And he names 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 things. You have to be seven to become strong in the faith. The first thing is virtue, he says. Virtue, 
Arete means to be mature. How long does it take for you to mature and grow up in the faith? 30 years, 40 years, 50 years? Long time. So that would have to do with the 70 weeks of Daniel. God's going to have to seven his people. And it's going to take 70 weeks. And actually it doesn't say weeks. It says 70 sevens. 70 sevens. 70 sevens. Now, I want to give you one more word on this. I don't give you a bunch of things out of different areas of the Bible. I want you to go over here. I'm going to verify this with two verses. It takes two witnesses to verify something. Look here in 14 and 11. Revelation 14 and 11. 14 and 11. I'm going to have to read a little before this. Uh, He's talking about three angels. And another angel saying in verse 8, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's mentioned twice in the Bible. Once here and once in 18, 18th chapter. When it says Babylon is fallen, it's talking about Babylon is fallen is fallen the first time it's talking about Jeremiah Jeremiah 51 51st chapter when Babylon goes down into the sea or into the Euphrates River and that's when Cyrus the Persian king comes over and destroys Babylon and sets Israel loose to go back to build their temple and their city. And so that's in Jeremiah. That's the first is fallen. The second is fallen is at the end of time. End of time. And that's in Revelation. Revelation the 18th. And you might say the 19th chapter was it with it. That's where Babylon goes down and sinks into the sea. Now, now let's keep reading here. All right. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city. Remember, Babylon is not just a city on the Euphrates. It's an international city. Being an international city, She's the mother of all idolatry. So everywhere you find, let us make us a name, that was her that was her slogan. That was her what she was built upon. Let us make us a name. There in Genesis eleven and four. That is the drunkenness of Babylon that makes all the world drunk with the wine of her fornication. And fornication doesn't mean literal fornication. When Israel went after all those idol gods, God called those idol gods Israel's lovers and said she was involved in fornication. Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And her fornication was, let us make us a name. They were into themselves. 
And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image. Remember, the beast is not a man. It's a world system. And receive the mark in his forehead. And receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out. Let me see. Okay, in the next verse. Which is poured out without mixture with a cup of indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of God. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, not they have no rest day or night, nor worship the beast in his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. The mark is the character of the beast or his name. And what is the character of the beast? They found a city and a tower and uh, in the land of Shinar. And they said, let us build a city and a tower. And tower is the word Migdal. And Migdal means pulpit or rostrum. And here's our doctrine that will preach from the doctrine. Let us make us a name. Let us make us a shem, which means authority. The same thing as the New Testament. Let us make us up our own. We'll set off a stake and a boundary line. That's where's the first beast of the Bible that was ruling? Where is the first beast? I believe it's in Genesis. In Genesis, the third chapter, verse one. Here's the first beast that rules. Genesis 3 and 1. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, All the beast does is put God's law in question hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden Satan knew better than that and the word and the word beast a word serpent is the word nakos here's the mark of the beast n-a-c-h-a-s-h Satan said you can eat now, cause comes from a word of the same spelling that means to enchant. How is the world going to listen to a world beast system if it looks evil? They're not. It's going to be enchanting. That's just like the word dragon in Revelation 13. The dragon gave it its power, its seat, and its authority. Revelation 13 and 2, dragon 
has the basic same meaning as beast, as serpent. It's the word dracon, D-R-A-K-O-N. And it means to enchant. That's what it's going to be. And what was it that was in the tree? The tree that was in the garden, John says, all that's in the world, all in the world, this is what the mark of the beast goes back to. All that's in the world. And when you when you listen to the enchanting words, the whole world is being enchanted by political correctness. That's what everybody's been enchanted with. That's what the Roman Catholic Church was founded on, was political correctness. Well, you don't offend anybody. In fact, in 312 A.D., Constantine was the emperor of all the civilized world. Constantine, Constantine was ruling all of the civilized world. And he said, I've got to do something to make everybody happy. The church was growing at breakneck speed and the church was giving Constantine a hard time. Constantine came from Constantinople, conquered Rome, and then while he was emperor at Rome, all of these Huns and Vandals and Goths and Visigoths were attacking were going to attack Rome. So he said, I've got to do something. So what he did, he did something very parallel to political correctness. He issued an edict of toleration. And he called it the Edict of Milan. And he said, what we will do, all the Christians will be allowed, this is the enchantment, and it's going to come on the world and this is the, like the beast in the garden. When you tell them that you can have all that's in the world, and John said in 1 John 2.16, all in, here's everything in the world, all in the world. This is going to go along with a definition of demon, demonion, D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N, which means to distribute fortunes. That's our word demon, distribute fortunes. All that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's what the devil wants to distribute. That's what they're trying to come up with, a way for the world to have its way right now. Let everybody do what they want to do. Let the people do in Afghanistan what they don't want to do. If somebody wants to kill people, that's okay. Just leave everybody alone and involve yourself in political correctness. And Eve saw a tree. I believe this is the mark of the beast. She saw a tree that was good for food.
It was pleasant to the eye. It would fulfill the lust of the eye. It would fulfill the lust of the flesh, being good for food. It was the pride of life. And that word pride is the word alazonia, A-L-A-Z-O-N-I-A. And that means self-esteem. What the world is going to appeal to is self. That's going to... That's always been the mark of the beast since the garden. As to how it's going to come about, the government, they're already giving away free money to people that don't work. That's why they can't hire people on jobs. They don't have, you can ride down the street and you can see, on the post office, they had a sign the other day that says, uh, we're hiring now. They have it on the signs on on the crystal burger place hiring and people don't want to work they're making it easy to have the lust of the flesh lust of the eye lust is what epithumia it means to long for that which is forbidden it means to breathe hard upon the world breathe hard and say I want that I want that car I want that money and that's, I believe this is the mark of the beast right there. Lust of the flesh, she saw the tree that was good for food, pledged the eye, make her wise, and she could be proud in her own conceits. That's about things and stuff. That's what the 70 weeks of Daniel is about. You know what the 70 weeks of Daniel is about? It's the deception to Israel because they did not want to do what Moses said do, and God told them they had to do that. They had to take one year out of every seven years and leave the land alone. You know, the 70 weeks of Daniel can be wrapped up in one chapter, Leviticus, 25th chapter. Leviticus 25 is the sabbatical years. You know that all prophecy is wrapped up in this chapter right here. This is a command that God gave to Israel, and they said, we won't do that, because they wanted to distribute fortunes to themselves. Now, the thing is, they didn't understand what what leaving the land alone for every seven years. They didn't understand that. God wasn't going to explain to them something that we call crop rotation. So they said, what we're going to do, let's go around and look at the 70 weeks. you got to keep remembering the mark of the beast is his name. His authority, His Word. What does Satan do? He promises you something you can't have. That's what he does. Now let's go over here to... And every time you find Mark, it's the beast's name. Name is not just something you're called. It's not just an appellation, which is your, which is, uh, your handle. My name is not... Jim, 
my name is Jim Brown. I got my last name when I was conceived in my mother's womb. I, I look like my father. I got his loud voice. I've got my mother's nature. She was gentler than he was. I've got a section here out of Kittle's New Testament Dictionary of Greek Words. This is 40 pages just on the Greek, on the Greek meaning of name. 40 pages. And they will tell you in here so many things on the Greek for the word name. If it's the word name, it's also the mark. Because we have established that the mark was the name of the beast. And God also has a name. And it'll tell you, let me read some things to you out here. The name is an indispensable part of personality. It's what your person, there's one Jim Brown that lives in Hendersonville, Tennessee, that preaches predestination and Christmas is pagan and God does not love everybody. There's one Jim Brown that does that. My personality and my reputation is my name. They'll tell you that in here. A name was what you are and what you do. That's your name. There's Jim Browns all over America. I used to look up the Jim Browns when I was traveling on the road, see how many of them they had in the directory. They had 140-something Jim Browns alone in Houston's directory at one time. Well, I'm not those other Jim Browns. I'm the one that stands hard line for predestination, death to self, daily cross, self-denial, Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan. There's only one Jim Brown I know of that does that. That's my name, my personality, my reputation. Your name is what you are. And he says that all through here. The name is not just a designation, but an expressed essentiality. The name is not abstract. It gives clear form and solid content to the will. And only when the gods have names do they acquire personality, history, or myth. Only when men know the name of a god can they call upon him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they say in here that name has the sense of repute or reputation. That's what your name is. God's name is his reputation. Death to self, daily cross, self-denial, thinking of others, not self. That's your name. That's your mark. To have a name, to be known. And he goes on to say, Onoma, which is the Greek word name, is the actual thing or person and his personality. Then he says, the onoma, thus onoma, which is the Greek word name. Let me write that down again. Here's name every time you find it in the New Testament. O-N-O-M-A. When you're baptized in the name, in the character, 
God's mark on us would be baptism. We're not talking about water. We're talking about blood. That's why baptize means to cover with a stain or die. And that would have to do with having his name written in our head and our forehead, in our hand or in our forehead. But in the forehead meant in the mind. And the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his authority, not your own authority. Name means authority. That's also Mark. Now, let me read some more about this name. Here, E-I-S-O-N-O-M-A means in name. Isonoma does not just mean in the name, but refers to the account of which those divisions, the name of the owner stands. In the name was a word that meant it had to do with to impute. Impute is the word logizomai in the Greek, or to assign to an account. When we do something in the name of Jesus, we say, you put it to his account. It's an accountant's term in the name. Then he goes on to say, where the name of the owner is always put at the head of inventories. Let me read a couple more of these. And he says, in the word onomazo, O-N-O-M-A-Z-O, is the verb form of onoma name. It means to do in the name. When he says over there in in Ephesians, the fifth, fifth chapter, he talks about all the sins that people are involved in. He said, let it not once be named onomazo among you. That's not your name, not to live evil. Your name should be living righteously. Let me give you some more of these things. He says, sounds of an animal will tell you what their name is. If you hear a barking, that's the name of a dog. And so forth. And the list goes on. And the name of God. He said, these people back in that day and time, their gods had many names. What do you think the Bible means when the Bible says, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's in the ninth chapter of Isaiah. And when you see in the 19th chapter of Revelation, when he's coming back with eyes as a flame of fire, and upon his, and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which is the word of God, and upon his thigh is written the name of God. He's talking about his name. And what is his name? When the when when God came to Moses and said, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, let my children go. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And Moses says, But God, what if those people, those those children of Israel, what if they ask me, What is his name? 
What is his shem? Shem has the same meaning as onoma. It means authority. What if they say, what is his name? And what did God say? God said, you tell them, I am has sent me to you. Tell them, I am. That's actually his name. Jehovah. And some people like to call it Yahweh, Y-A-H. W-E-H, Yahweh. When you translate a Y into English, it translates a J. There are no vowels in the Hebrew language. You've got a Y, which is a J, an H, and a W and a V are the same letter other than the vowel point in the Hebrew language. So, Y-H-W-H is J-H-W-H. J-H-V-H are the same thing. And Y-H-W-H and J-H-V-H translates self-existent. God said, that is my name. Self-existent. Well, am is a form of the verb to be. I've given you the being verb so many times. Be, is, am, are. They're all forms of being. Some of them are singular, like is. Some of them are plural, like are. He is, they are, they would be with, be plural. Be, is, am, are, was, were, being, been, have, has, had, do, does, did, shall, will, Will is a form of the verb to be, to exist. It means to exist. Am is a form of the word. When Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8 at the end of it, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. They said, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? He said, before Abraham was, I am. And boy, they got enraged. They took up stones to stone him. And he walked away. And he said, my time was not yet. So he is the I am God. They didn't, the Jews didn't say the Lord. You can get this out of theological word book of the Old Testament. Look up this word is. They didn't say the Lord is God. They said he is the only God that is God. So they said the Lord God. They said if they said is, that's like static language. Static is when you lose the signal on a radio. You're driving out somewhere and driving out west. That's why this guy moved across the border at Del Rio, Texas and came up with the radio station XEG. Because in Del Rio, across the Texas border into Mexico, they don't have any any rules for broadcasting. So you can be listening to Del Rio when you in Louisiana be driving towards west 
towards California, maybe out in you may be out in Arizona before you lose the signal on Del Rio. You may be all the way to California. Otherwise, you get static. And they said the Lord is God. You didn't say that. That's static language. They said he's the only God that is God. So the Jews said the Lord God. And that's all it took. Now, let me give you a few other things on this. There's so many interesting things. They said their gods had many names. It, that the theological word book, I mean the Kittle's New Testament of Greek words is a magnificent set of books. And some people say, Well, he was a German, he was a friend with Adolf Hitler. Does that keep a math does that keep an algebra teacher from knowing his algebra? No. That did, did that keep Werner von Braun from coming to America, we didn't execute one of von Braun. We made him head of our space program. Even though he was a brilliant scholar, he was a friend of Hitler's. But you don't, you don't put a scientist down because he has the wrong friends. And then, then they talk about the name of an Israelite who died without sons is kept alive in his family. In default of this, the name of the deceased is blotted out from the midst of his brethren. They had these little uh, places they would uh, keep their records at their little courthouses and to blot a man's name out when he did something real evil or when he didn't have any children. And the Bible speaks of us having a new name when we go to be with the Lord. A new authority. I don't know if I'll be called Jim. It don't matter to me. I just want to get there. I got there's so many things on the name. I just I can't read them all now. Let me get back to the lesson. Let me go back to show you what the Jews did, and I believe the people stole this from them. Look at Deuteronomy six. This is God's name or God's seal Deuteronomy 6 let's read in verse 3 hear therefore O Israel and observe to do it that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey now, this is God's seal. God has a seal, a sphragis, a, a signature that he puts upon us. And that's the same thing as the name of the, the, or the mark of the beast. Hear, O Israel, this is verse 4, The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul and all thy might. And the second is like unto this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And that, that, how are they going to get in our heart? God's going to write them there in that third chapter of Second Corinthians. He writes upon fleshy tables of our heart. He wrote upon flat tables of stone in the Old Testament. 
And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. This is in all probability where the beast gets his mark. He wants to copy God. And they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. So the Jews took this literally, and they put their phylacteries, little black boxes on their head, with this verse, these verses right here, and some other verses, and and they put them put little boxes, and they called them phylacteries. And they put them on their left hand, like it's talking here, because that's nearest to their heart. And they wrapped, they put the little box there with these verses on it, and they wrapped it around their arm. They tried to do it literally. God is talking about having it in your mind, and whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it to the glory of God, and do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in your name, but in His name. And his authority. So that's what I believe. Let's go to Leviticus. This is where all of this rebellion started with Israel. Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25. Sometimes, I don't know how to give you all this. This is the chapter that Israel hated. The Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, there's a law for the land to yield properly. He says, If you're obedient to me, and this is one of the laws of obedience, you're going to have to leave the land alone every seven years. You can't reap, you can't sow, you can't do anything to the land. Every seven years, you got to let the land lie fallow. That means you don't touch it with a hoe or with a plow or anything. You leave everything there that grows of itself for the poor, for the animals, for the needy, and if you need something and it grows of itself. Well, the only problem is they had a they had a year before that they had a crop that they would plant in the winter that would grow in the fall of this next year. But you couldn't harvest it. And they had to leave the land alone. And they couldn't plant anything so they could harvest it in the eighth year. They couldn't do any planting. So they actually have one year, a half a year, and a half a year here. They had a year and a half. They couldn't do any planting or any harvesting. Period. That's what we would call crop rotation. 
I don't understand crop rotation. I've looked at it on the internet. They, if a farmer out here in the Midwest has 50 acres and it's divided up into tracks, he cannot plant every year the same crop in the same place. He has to rotate the crops. I read a little on it and it said certain crops like soybeans put nitrogen into the ground. It takes so much nitrogen to grow certain crops. If you're planting, I believe it was corn, pulls the nitrogen out of the out of the ground so you've got to rotate those crops they can't plant the same thing every year you can't do it i learned that with a little garden i had over there where i used to live me and mary put a garden out we'd plant tomatoes every year and put the same bell peppers out there and in about five years our giant tomatoes were turned out to be little bitty tiny tomatoes and the ground wouldn't grow anything well they said we don't care what you're saying we're not going to do this we'll go and find other gods that'll let us have our way and that's where they would come up with Baal and the grove and Shemosh and Molech, and Israel went for 70 sets of these sabbatical years, 70 times 7, 490 years, growing whatever they wanted to grow. They were getting to a place, they were, their crops must have been spindly. They said, we know what we want, we don't care what you say, Moses. And they went for 490 years and never kept the sabbatical, never let the land enjoy, or the way the Bible puts enjoy her Sabbaths. And it was because of their greed. It was because of their lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. They're not going to be told what to do. Now let's keep reading. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, I gave it to Abraham in Genesis 17. I gave it to Isaac in Genesis 17. I gave it to Jacob in Genesis 28. Then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap. I'm sorry, that's what it is. Do you think God's going to explain to them how the crops need to rotate? He's going to say, do it my way. Neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. 
and the Sabbath of the land shall be made for you and for thee and for thy servant and for thy maid and for thy hired servant and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee. Give all the anything that's out there. Tell them they go out and gather what they want. And for the cattle and the beasts that are in thy land shall all the increase thereof be meat. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, and seven times seven years, and the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. And the fiftieth year had a title, Year of Jubilee. And some things happened in the year of Jubilee. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. That's the day of atonement. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all the land, and you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof, and it shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. You forgive every debt. Men would go and they would become bond slaves if they owed the master of the land money. They would become a bond slave to him and have to go live in his house and be a slave to him till he worked out that property but at the year of jubilee everything is forgiven everybody goes back to the land everything restored all bills are canceled it's all over everybody goes back to go and they do not collect two hundred dollars and everybody starts from scratch again boy if there were some hustlers there if there were guys that lived up here let's say some guy lived in judah and he's buying land all over Ephraim and Dan. And he's a real hustler. And he's got land in Ged and some in Reuben. And come the year of Jubilee. That's not your land no more, John. But it goes back to the original owner. Everybody start from scratch. Why do you think they didn't want to go along with this? They said, we're not going to do that, so we'll go after Baal and the grove and Shemosh and Molech, and they'll be our gods. They even gave credit to these gods. If you read the second chapter of Hosea, they'll say, these gods gave us our corn and our grain and our wine. God says, they didn't do that. I did that. So God says, I'm not going to put up with this. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you you shall not sow neither reap that which groweth of itself in it nor gather grapes in it and thy vine undress for it is the jubilee and it shall be holy unto you and you shall eat the increase thereof out of the fields in the year of this jubilee you shall return every man unto his possession forgive all debts it's all over boy if we had that in America, we wouldn't have the problem we're having with the economy, would we? Send everything back to its original owner and forgive all debts and forgive every man 
And every bond slave, you can go home now, you don't owe me nothing anymore. Greedy people are not going to do that. Now, this is the very thing that Israel refused to do. So what they did, and you notice that's in Leviticus, they're not even they're not even into the promised land yet. They're not into the land that God gave to Abraham over there in Genesis. They're in Leviticus, and they're wandering in the wilderness, and then they come up out of the wilderness, come up out of the wilderness 40 years. This is in Leviticus. 25 is about the Sabbath year. And then they... They've been 400 years in Egypt. 400 years, and they're carrying some of the ideas of those gods with them. And then they come into the land of... After 40 years, they come in, and Joshua leads them in and to conquer all these enemies, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. And God tells them, do not marry these people. Then they get into Judges. And they do exactly what he says not do. They intermarry with these people and they serve their gods. And you find in Judges, the second chapter, that they go after Ashtaroth and Baal and the grove and all the rest of these gods. And then they after Judges, you get into First Samuel, and they're pretty clean through there, through First Samuel. First and Second Samuel is about simply about Saul and David, and David is appointed king of Israel, and Saul thinks he tried to steal his kingdom, and God is the one that appointed him because Saul would not serve the Lord in truth. So you get over to First Kings. First Kings and Second Kings, and that's where they get involved full force into Baal, Grove, Shemosh, Ashtaroth worship. In First Kings, that that eleventh chapter and the sixteenth chapter, the eleventh chapter, where Solomon allows his seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines to keep their gods, and all during the time that they are. Under judges, they're 510 years under kings, approximately. Under kings, from 1 Samuel to 2 Chronicles. They're 350 to 400 years under judges. So they're actually about 800 years or so that they are under all these kings and judges. And they're not keeping... Their sabbatical years for 490 of these years. 490. So God comes up. He scatters Israel after their... He scatters Israel and Daniel and Ezekiel are in the captivity. They're being held captive over here in Babylon. And Daniel's in Babylon when he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, 
I'm just, I'm so tired of Israel being disobedient to you. Let's go to Daniel, the ninth chapter. Daniel 9. How much time do I have, Mike? 17. Well, I'm not getting, I'm not moving through this very fast. I'm going to have to do this, more of this. Daniel 9. I'll come back next week and continue it. The 70 weeks of Daniel is a measurement toward the end of time. That's what I got up here. Takes us to the end. God tells Daniel's in captivity. It's believed that Daniel and Ezekiel went into captivity into Babylon. I should have put them down here. Daniel and Ezekiel. And God said, Because you went after these gods, Baal and Grove and Shemash and Molech and all the gods of Egypt and all the gods of Syria, because you went after these gods, he scattered northern Israel because of these gods. And they went after these gods because they didn't want to keep the sabbatical years. They said, we got a way to do this. So God, they were scattered. Northern Israel was scattered by Assyria. For these very things, going after these other gods. So God, Assyria scattered northern Israel in 722 B.C. Southern Judah is scattered in 586 B.C. And they had three deportations, one in 605 B.C., one in 597, 96, somewhere in that area, and then one in 586 B.C., and that was a total destruction and annihilation of southern Judah. These were peaceful deportations. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in from over here, and slaughters Israel and carries Daniel and Ezekiel are carried away. It's believed in this 597-96, a non-military deportation. And Daniel is the one that gives us the message of the 70 weeks. And it's right here in this chapter. In the ninth chapter, starting in the first verse, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes. This was the Mede Persian Empire, and that's the same thing as what we would call Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Turkestan. All those stands is the old ancient Persian Empire. Of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldees. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the destruction of Jerusalem. What he's saying, God's going to have them carried away. For 70 years, southern Judah is carried away in five years. 
586 B.C. The temple under the Persian kings is going to be rebuilt at these dates, 538 B.C. And then there was a decree given by Cyrus And then it was reinforced in that was in second second chronicles the thirty sixth chapter the last few verses and Ezra the book of Ezra, which is the next book, Ezra, and that would be one through three, and then the second decree would be given by a Persian king by a Mede king named Darius. When I say Mede, Persia was a dual empire. It was a it was a Persian Mede system. Not gonna go into that right now. And then in Darius gave the second decree to reinforce the first decree in five twenty. B.C. This book says, it says right here, in the first year of the reign of, of his reign, speaking of Darius, first year of his reign was 522. So Daniel is crying unto the Lord in 522 B.C. How long are you going to have us here in captivity? And and God says he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And Daniel was reading about these 70 years. Uh, it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So Daniel is reading Jeremiah. What Daniel is reading is Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29. Those chapters to you about the 70 years, they're going to have to stay here. They were carried away in 586. The temple was finished in 516. That's the 70 years. And all these kings, uh, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. And then the temple is finished in 516 B.C. That's 70 years. If Israel had been repentant, God would have had... They gave decrees for Artaxerxes, Darius, and Cyrus gave decrees for them to go back over here to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Rebuild temple. The temple had been crushed and annihilated. Israel had been just crushed to the ground by Nebuchadnezzar many years before in 586 well when you get down here to Artaxerxes after this third decree in 516 in Nehemiah the second chapter Artaxerxes gives the last decree the fourth decree and you find that in Nehemiah the second chapter I'll explain that later now
Daniel is crying to the Lord. Oh, what he is reading. Let me read to you what he's reading. What Daniel is reading. Daniel is reading Jeremiah 25th chapter. I'll come back and read more of it next week. But Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25, and it's talking about the land of Israel. In verse 11, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, he pulled all the stones down of the city, pulled all the temple stones down. They, As their custom was, they would plow the land up and sow it with salt so nothing would grow there. It looked like desolation when he got through with it. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. What God's going to do is take those 70 sabbatical years. They had one every seven years. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. And they had 70 sets of those. 70 times 7. Had 70 sets of them where they never kept sabbatical year. So God says, I'm going to take, I'm going to take 70 sets of those 7 years. I'm going to take the 490 years if you don't repent during that 70 years. And they didn't. Only about 45,000 came back from the captivity the rest loved Babylon they were let loose in Babylon they were growing and having fun and enjoying their life so he says it came to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans will make it a perpetual desolation and I will bring upon that land all my words which I shall pronounce against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. Now let's look at chapter 29. This is what Daniel was reading. He was being reminded of the 70 years. And God says, if you don't repent in those 70 years, I'm going to take the full 490 years and that'll take us to the end of time. Now, 29. Do I have any time? Six. Six. I'll just read a couple of verses here. God tells them to go to Babylon earlier in the chapter, uh, settle down. Nebuchadnezzar is my savior. I pulled you out of you won't leave the land alone, so I'm going to pull you out for 70 years until the land has enjoyed her Sabbaths. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried... Verse 4. Whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Then he says up here in verse 9, For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name, talking about the false prophets 
He said, don't you listen to them. And he's talking about the false prophets in Israel. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. That is, if if I make you willing. And then over in Second Chronicles, this is when they were carried away. Second Chronicles 36. This is where they were carried away. And this is the prophecy that Second Chronicles has to say. Second Chronicles 36 and verse... It's talking about Nebuchadnezzar coming in. He burns the house of God in verse 19, breaks down the wall of Jerusalem, and burns all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. That would be when Cyrus comes in. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her 70 Sabbaths. One right after another. If they leave the land alone for 70 years, it'll restore all the nutrients to the ground. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three scores, scores 20, three scores 60, and 10 years. That's the amount of time. That's what this is all about. That's what the end of time is about. 69 of the Sabbatical years will be fulfilled. And I'll go through this next Wednesday. And this will be in the 70 weeks. 69 or 483 years will be fulfilled from the time of the going forth of commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, and that will be Jesus. He is Messiah the Prince coming in Jerusalem in Luke, the 19th chapter. And 69 of those weeks will come to pass here. But the 70th week will be a gap. Now, some people don't like the gap, but it's absolutely a fact. It's a gap in the prophecy. And you're going to be able to tell And then God's going to measure out from the time, from the going forth of commandment to restore and build Jerusalem to Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. Seven weeks, three score is 62 plus seven is 69 weeks. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, Nehemiah the second chapter, until Jesus comes into Jerusalem and presents himself as the prince that's to be crowned king, and they reject him as the prince and crucify him as the Passover lamb. Then God's going to pour out of his spirit on all flesh, red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh, or the Gentiles, not every one of them, but to the Gentile church. And then the 70th week will come about at the end of time. 
I have much to say about that 70th week. And I believe we're headed towards that. Towards the 70th week, it will be divided into two sections of time, times, and half a times. Or... 1260 days which is one half of seven years on a on a 360 day Jewish calendar I believe we are headed towards this I have got much to say about a war that will take place at the very end and that will take us back to Ezekiel the 38th chapter Gog and Magog and it will take us to Revelation Revelation the 20th chapter Gog and Magog I've just about run out of time and I I don't want to get involved in this real, real detailed but those chapters go together Leviticus 25th chapter the 9th chapter of Daniel and at the end of the 9th chapter of Daniel is this is this 70 weeks. In this series, I'm going to go back to the 38th chapter, there's got to be a great war where Israel is attacked. It looks like they're gathering now. They're gathering together for the great war of Ezekiel. 38. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help the people to get a hold of these things that we're teaching. Because, Lord, I believe it's just around the corner. I believe it has to be here pretty soon. It looks like everything's wrapping up to that. Thank you for truth. Cause us to continue this work. Touch the minds and the hearts and the lives of the people out there. That they will understand that this 70th week is upon us. It's somewhere near in the near future. Lord, I pray that you'll fight all of our battles. Don't let anybody stop this ministry. I've got so many enemies, Lord. I pray that you'll You'll fight our battles for us and strengthen the church. Make them strong in these hard times to come. And fight every battle we have in Christ's name. Amen. Man, that was a lot of stuff, wasn't it? I'm going to bring out 
next Wednesday why the 70th week cannot follow on the heels of the... Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Why it can't follow on the heels of this 69th week. There's a division in it.